What's up, everyone? This is Anthony Pompliano. Most of you know me as Pomp. You're listening to the Pomp Podcast, simply the best podcast out there. Now let's kick this thing off. Ben Sebley is the Chief Growth Officer at BCB Group. In this conversation, we talk about banking for crypto companies, emerging yield markets, the current market status, and also what's going on with the Staff Accounting Bulletin and the SEC. I really enjoyed this conversation with Ben, and I hope you guys enjoy it as well. Before we get into this episode, though, I first want to talk about our sponsors. This episode is brought to you by FTX US. FTX.US is the safe, regulated way to buy and sell Bitcoin and other digital assets. You can trade crypto with up to 85% lower fees than top competitors. There are no fixed minimum fees, no ACH transaction fees, and no withdrawal fees either. FTX.US is also the only leading exchange that supports both Ethereum and Solana NFTs. Download the FTX app today and use referral code POMP to earn these free crypto on every trade over $10. The more you trade, the more you earn. Go download the FTX app today and use referral code POMP. This episode is brought to you by Valor. Valor represents what's next in the digital economy. They provide simplified, trusted access to crypto, decentralized finance, and Web3 investment opportunities. Institutions and investors can gain diversified, secure, compliant, and easily tradable access to a diversified set of industry-leading equity products and protocols through a single stock purchase on a regulated exchange. They're currently listed on the OTC at DEFTF and on the Canadian NEO exchange at DEFI, For more information or to subscribe to receive company updates and financial information, you can visit their website at valor.com. That's V-A-L-O-U-R.com. Valor.com. Go check them out today. This episode is brought to you by Unstoppable Domains. They recently launched an awesome feature to level up your Unstoppable Domains profile. It's called Badges. They translate wallet activity into achievements, so celebrating, reliving, and sharing your crypto story has never been easier. Before, these stories were buried in transaction logs that were hard to read, making them difficult to find and understand as well. But since Unstoppable Domain Badges are awarded based on your wallet activity, they're a super fun, easy way to build on-chain reputation just by doing what you do, like supporting NFT projects, collecting domains, or holding crypto. Unstoppable Domain owners can activate badges from their account profile page right now. If you haven't minted an NFT domain yet, go to unstoppabledomains.com right now to own your name, starting as low as $5. Again, head over to unstoppabledomains.com right now to get started. Anthony Pompliano runs Pomp Investments. All views of him and the guests on his podcast are solely their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of Pomp Investments. You should not treat any opinion expressed by Pomp or his guests as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of his personal opinion. This podcast is for informational purposes only. Ben, how are you doing? Hey, very well, very well. How are you? I'm super excited to talk to you, man. Uh, let's just get right into it. Banking for crypto companies. The second somebody hears that, they go, whoa, is that an oxymoron? Banks, crypto companies. Help folks understand that why do crypto companies still need banking? Mate, well, it may be a new industry, but it's a story as long as time, it feels like. So um, look, I'm sure most of your listeners are going to be very intimately aware of um, the pain surrounding this. But for those that aren't, um, basically, the cryptocurrency industry is bucketed as ultra high risk. Um, so traditional financial services firms, uh, they look at crypto alongside the likes of the adult entertainment industry, gambling, medicinal marijuana, etc. So what it means in practice is that, well, guess what? Crypto companies, whether you're a brand new crypto startup or a multi-billion dollar exchange, you can't get banking. Um, 
And that's a pretty fundamental service to not have for a fintech. Um, you know, whether it's as simple as kind of operational accounts just to pay your staff, all the way up to treasury management and even fiat landing on off ramps from large exchanges, um, people have struggled. Um, now, I mean, I came into the industry sort of early 2018, and really from then to now, it's actually got harder not easier there's less places you can go those places are better um but there's less places actually offering crypto companies the right to bank um so really kind of we jump back to 2017 all that happened was um we had this pop in the market everyone then then knew what bitcoin was which was great but um then the banks actually went oh hold on we've got a bunch of companies on the book doing something that we absolutely don't understand. So the rug got pulled on the industry and a lot of people lost their accounts. Um, and really at the time, there was kind of only one big bank globally offering um, you know, accounts to crypto companies, and that was Silvergate. And it was only offering in one currency, which is US dollars. Now, that's even read through today because what we see in the market is that we see pretty much all crypto companies and all crypto assets being pegged to the dollar. And it's not just because the US is the largest market in the world with the you know, deepest tech talent pool. It's because they simply couldn't get bank accounts. Um, so we saw that kind of change happen and the evolution happen over the next couple of years of that first sort of major institutional crypto winter. Um, we saw some development in Europe, but actually what, what happened was the large players that were banking crypto companies before they stepped away um, and there was a vacuum and the vacuum wasn't particularly filled. You had the odd Eastern European payments company or a very sleepy private bank um, come in and try and service those companies. But almost as quick as they came, they disappeared. And they disappeared simply because they didn't understand crypto compliance. They didn't understand what crypto companies needed. And when you look at the average profile of a crypto company, it's a pretty fast paced fintech. Um, with quite demanding needs and normally quite a high customer base. So they're quite hard clients to service and service well. Now, what, that, what that's led to effectively is it's led to like massive challenges in the industry. So um, firstly, those companies that bank crypto companies um, aren't necessarily always fit for purpose. You know, a lot of crypto companies just basically take what they can get. Um, uh, and that's a shame, really, because it actually hampers growth and development in the industry. Um, the second thing is that it's expensive. Um, we all know that if we've started a crypto company, you know, going to get bank accounts, it's not only expensive, um, it takes an incredibly long time to do because as the industry is cyclical and as investment comes in waves, um, that capital all tends to get deployed at the same time. And one of the first things everyone needs to do is set up a crypto bank account, or if they're expanding into a new area, they need to set up a, a new account in that currency. So what we see is we see these massive backlogs of very few companies being able to service the industry. Um, and it just hampers net growth and development um, within crypto. Now, there are some small benefits of it, um, you know, mostly if everyone's banking at the same place, well, guess what? Velocity of capital at least should be quicker because we're all in the same place. So at least I can shift some money from my market making company onto an exchange at Sunday evening. Um, but, you know, that, that has that has limited viability um, uh, and ability to sort of scale outside of those currencies that aren't service. Um, and, and I guess the kind of final um Small advantage is that you know there is economies of learning with with these very with these very few companies that are providing kind of crypto companies the banking services. They do get to kind of know what these companies want, and um, 
But I think we can all appreciate, you know, a healthy and competitive marketplace would be better net net for everyone um, and certainly get more access to um, crypto companies with, with what they actually need so they can grow. How much of this is a regulation problem versus a technology problem, right? If, if we got clear regulations around uh, this industry, would that solve majority of the problems or is there a tech component to it as well? Yeah, it's a good question. So it very much used to be a regulation problem. Um, I think especially in the time sort of post-2017, we lacked two things. We lacked basic infrastructure that was suitable for sort of of, uh, major institutions, and and we lacked regulatory clarity. Um, That's 2017. Now, fast forward on to 2022, and for instance, you've only got the European Commission going firm on what might be seen as a new regulatory framework for crypto which may or may not come in in about 24 months. So where we have seen um, improvements in regulation and regulatory clarity, um, we've seen uh, further growth and and a bit more acceptance of especially non-crypto corporates to come into the space and expand. Um, However, it's, it's, it's not giving it a blanket oversight for people to come in and operate comfortably. Um, I think we're still maybe a couple of years off uh, yet. And I think that's probably evidenced by, Um, If you look at the US, sort of the major crypto companies that are only just starting to lobby properly in DC, it's a great development um, and it helps sort of add to add an industry view to regulation. Um, But really, that that hasn't even started properly in Europe yet. Um, It's only just the green shoots. So once we get further regulatory clarity, it will help. I mean, we've got some, but um, really it's a technology issue as well um, in that, you know, crypto is going to be playing catch up just to get a very vanilla offering of financial services that, you know, a very normal corporate would have access to uh, in, say, Europe. When you think about traditional banks, obviously yield is a huge component of what they offer. We've seen all sorts of uh, kind of chaos in the yield markets, both centralized and decentralized uh, over the last couple of weeks. What's your general read right now on yield in crypto? Yeah, I, th- this is so this is the place that um, I've certainly been most excited with the developments they're in for. Um, it's also been fed back by our clients, whether they're crypto natives or whether they're more traditional finance types. That's actually the area of crypto that I think is going to add most value and we're going to see most institutional crossover. Um, as we know, we're kind of going through a period of instability. But actually what's happening is we're seeing this great stress test happening early um, for fairly large kind of CFI and DeFi lenders. Um, it is painful. Obviously, some companies are failing, but... It's really accelerated, I think, people's idea on how to um, handle corporate governance in the lending space. Now, if we look at what our clients are saying, um, you know, even though they might want bank accounts, they might want the ability to trade, they might want the ability to store and custody. Actually, where we're seeing the most demand and the most interest, especially from non-crypto companies, is the ability to generate yield. Um, I think there's no surprise, obviously, with real inflation (laughs) smashing into double digits. but we've had fintechs sort of bite our arm off and CFOs want to come in and get an education piece around it. Now, that was right up until Terra Luna happened. Once we had that happen, we were actually surprised that people were still very, very interested to learn um, how they could get safe exposure to sort of CFI and DeFi. Uh, and really sort of the developments there uh, have been quite interesting. The main thing we're hearing from clients is we're still happy 
with CFI DeFi. Uh, however, we want the ability to recall quicker. Um, they also want a, a lot clearer view on, on the DD process, also sort of collateral management, margin calling management. Um, they do want the ability um, to know what's behind and if you're back to backing, where you're back to backing to. Um, what, what has been very interesting has been um, how agnostic I think most even traditional finance types have been to where you're generating that yield. So whether it's money market lending in CFI or whether it's the slightly more punchy high risk DeFi, as, as some would say, um, actually most CFOs have been fairly agnostic, which we've been surprised about. And um, they just want to know the real rates uh, and roughly how it works. Um, and actually, I think what could come out of this is obviously some consolidation like we're seeing, which is which is kind of great. Um, but also you will just see uh, rapid economies of learning in, in how to kind of govern lending companies uh, in a way that matches actually more what traditional finance wants. Um, so, yeah, I think if you're a yield aggregator, especially uh, where you sort of maximize exposure to say, you know, 3% of a particular protocol, I think I think they're going to come out of this well. Um, but definitely sentiment has been relatively positive. Um, interest has taken a small dip in it, but but not anywhere near the level we, we expected. There was recently an SEC bulletin, this Staff Accounting Bulletin 121, which makes me sound like a genius that uh, I can recite that. Uh, explain to everyone, what was this saying and why do you guys think that maybe it was uh, mistimed or misplaced? Well, this is this is something. Um, unfortunately, we've kind of we've set, we've stepped back a bit from. Um, so we, we've been focused more largely on sort of the Mika developments here in Europe. Um, but as we all know, you know, even in crypto, uh, when the US coughs, the rest of the world catches the cold. So everyone has been definitely kind of watching fairly avidly to all, all the developments in DC and how uh, a lot of the major kind of US crypto companies have handled. And, and lobbied as well. Uh, and we're starting, to, like I said earlier, we're starting to see that kind of translate through even to the UK uh, and other companies, uh, sorry, and other countries here, here in Europe and elsewhere, where crypto is being recognised politically uh, as having way more of a, a sway. Certainly with the public opinion, it's seen as slightly bipartisan, which obviously is helpful now. Um, but we, we've still got a lot of work to do. Uh, and the SEC... Um, is sort of almost being pipped at the post at the minute by, by Europe. Like Mika is seen as, you know, a very broad framework that has gone down really, really well and, and potentially might even make Europe slightly more investable from, you know, a crypto sphere. Yeah. Talk to me about BCB Group, what you guys are doing to help people with the banking services uh, for crypto companies. Yeah, cool. So, um, I mean, where we fit into this is, is that we were sort of headquartered initially in Europe and, um, Unlike that sort of single US bank, we, we slot in and our story was we basically helped all the big US crypto companies expand. Certainly at the, at the start into Europe, kind of basically through 29, 2020, 21, um, we help, you know, the big exchange start opening their sort of GBP, their euro, the CHF rails. Um, how we are probably different to the other couple of banking providers that service crypto is that, you know, we're, we're crypto natives ourselves. So um, we've tried to basically build our infrastructure around what clients want. So we do have a trading function, whether it's sort of facing the crypto direction or it's facing more the FX. Um, our bank accounts, uh, we now offer up to 30 currencies. Um, and why that's interesting is because we're starting to see where these big 
crypto companies are kind of looking to move next. Uh, and especially the story of the last sort of six to 12 months has been one of them expanding to sort of non-core markets. You know, interestingly, the Middle East is getting a lot of attention. A lot of people are looking whether to set up camp in Dubai. Um, you know, even, even markets like Canada hadn't been serviced well. Um, and we're seeing a lot more sort of renewed interest, thankfully, down in Asia and a lot more connecting of the Western crypto world with, with sort of the Far Eastern, which, which is great. Um, we also have kind of very crypto-focused services like custody uh, and more recently yield. And why that's interesting is because we, we tend to see, you know, from an infrastructure perspective, pretty much the whole breadth of what a particular crypto company wants. And um, we're also very lucky enough to, to sort of bank all the crypto household names, whether it's big exchanges, market makers or lenders. Uh, and what that means is, you know, because we understand them from, you know, being crypto natives, we're able to hopefully tweak and speed up our decision cycles on what we offer them. Um, so we try and not hinder industry growth. So that, that's been kind of how we fit into it. Um, but we're, we're still sort of, you know, we've only been around really since 2019. Um, and, and there's a lot more kind of growth to do and assist with. Um, but we, we definitely are seen as sort of main partners in Europe by the industry. What types of, uh, of companies? Are there specific types that you guys feel like you serve best versus others? Yeah, so um, I would say, well, it was always crypto. Um, we've started diversifying out to other sectors as well. However, um, especially crypto companies that have a sort of B2C type element, whether they need fiat rails um, and they need uh, on-off ramp type um, services, that's where we've sort of done our bread and butter. Um, what, we, what we've seen is we've traditionally actually serviced more of the US type companies looking to expand into Europe. Um, we've helped fledgling European companies grow, but um, especially ones that face retail are, are the ones that we tend to service the best. And um, I would say sort of the split in terms of what we do, it's, it's mostly focused on exchanges and market makers. Uh, and then you sort of get the tail of sort of funds and, uh, and lenders kind of following suit. And um, in terms of what we're seeing recently, especially in the last six to 12 months, the, apps, the, the uptake from traditional finance has, has been insane. And even normal corporates, um, it really kicked off, obviously, last, last April when, when uh, we were in a bull market uh, and we saw kind of Bitcoin do its thing. And there was sort of a FOMO type panic with the more traditional companies. And as, as that price action sort of dwindled, we saw some interest dwindle from traditional finance. However, in the last sort of six to eight months, it's completely renewed and almost price agnostically. You've had, um, you know, even just normal corporates come in, recognize they need to do something in crypto or they need to be enabled to crypto. And um, so we're now starting to see this massive uptake of, of people who are basically setting up um, to, to offer either crypto-related services or, or broaden what they do um, using us. And, and the good thing there is we're now seeing a proper crossover. So you're seeing traditional corporates actually look to generate yield for some of their retail users by using crypto. You're seeing traditional funds really start getting in and adding fresh longs. And so essentially the customer base is, is changing and we're seeing that crossover. And it kind of mimics what we saw um, in the sort of 2018 to, to 2020 years where you saw the, st the, st the green shoots of basically traditional firms looking at crypto but not jumping in completely. Uh, we're now seeing that people jumping with both feet 
and recognize that it's very much an industry that's here to stay, recognize that there's definitely going to be a crypto strategy um, that needs to fit into their normal strategy. Um, and so we're there to service that and sort of bridge that gap. When you think about the current market environment, if you were talking to somebody who doesn't pay attention to kind of this connectivity between the crypto companies and banking, what's the one thing that would surprise them the most uh, as prices have fallen over the last six to eight months? Like what what are some takeaways or surprises that have occurred? Yeah, so um, I think I think people would be surprised just how many um, big traditional firms are coming into crypto. I, th- I think that's the thing that would really, really shock people. What names Not can you share? Crypto. Can you share names that people don't know? Um, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll try airlines, try supermarkets, try anything from sort of manufacturing, anything to normal funds, which is kind of less exciting, um, especially on the tier two, tier three sort of traditional brokerage side, prime brokerage side. There's a lot of names. We've even got two investment banks as clients. Um, it's, it's, it's just great to see. And there's also not a particular type. What we're seeing is we're seeing traditional companies realize, hey, we can accept payments in crypto. Okay, let's do that. Or we've got two billion on the balance sheet. How do we generate some yield on that that's going to beat inflation? And so really there's not just kind of one answer, but it's great to see because we saw this in the last bear market, which lasted a couple of years. We saw traditional interest still remain the same in level, which was great. And we're now seeing that interest sort of renew and resurge. So that's definitely the first thing I think people would be surprised about. You know, the, the Bitcoin price, although it is a good indicator and proxy to sort of market health, um, actually, it's sometimes not always the case. I also think people would be surprised at just how much interest there is in, in yield related products. Um, it definitely feels like that will be the interesting thing as to where this industry will go. I don't think we're quite there in terms of what the, the end state will look like that will make sort of traditional companies happy. Um, But I think actually what's happened with recent in the market with, you know, the recent crash in Terra Luna has actually accelerated us getting there. And people are now sort of to the wall and they they need to realise that they need to up their own corporate governance um, and they need to be a bit more clear on what they do and how they generate yield, even at the expense of rates. So I think that's probably been the two themes um, that surprise people. Probably the third as well is, you know, NFTs, um, there's not actually been as much demand, even though that seems to have grabbed headlines and, you know, you see it all over sort of meme culture. Um, The NFT marketplace has sort of felt like it's been slightly transitory and it's come and gone. And and, and a really interesting thing there is that um, a lot of these marketplaces couldn't get banking. Um, It it was just a step too far even for crypto compliance. So um, I I know that's hindered growth. and actually, I think where sort of the, the smart money is looking is not just on sort of speculative investing of, say, Bitcoin uh, and holding it on your balance sheets like, you know, MicroStrategy, but it's more, okay, how do these money market lending products like CFI and DeFi actually have value to dis- traditional corporates? So I think that's probably, I think that would surprise people the most. Yeah, it's absolutely fascinating. Ben, where can we send people to find you on the internet or find more about BCB Group? Oh, just bcbgroup.com. Uh, we're there all the time. All right. Are you on the internet? 
Matey, I, I am, but I try and keep it low profile. Oh, so, uh, oh you're high now. I know you've got me out from under my rock, so well done. <laughs> awesome. Well, when you come to Miami, we'll hang out. Uh, I think that uh, it, it's, uh, it, it's like a weird component of the crypto industry. I think how little people understand uh, the complexity of banking, the uh, obstacles that have been in place. Uh, it was even worse you know, four, five, six years ago. Now there's businesses like yours that uh, can really help people uh, kind of get up to speed, get the connectivity, make sure that they're going to stay operational. Uh, but even in uh, the jurisdictions uh, where this has been solved, there's still plenty of other jurisdictions where it feels like they're constantly under threat. And so I think that this story is one uh, where it's like a, a key piece of infrastructure that people just don't realize how important it is, which always means you, it's probably a pretty good place to build a business. Uh, but also too, is that the story is not over in terms of the there's so many other jurisdictions that, uh, uh we got to go solve this problem. So, uh, best of luck to you guys. And, uh, and hopefully you guys will, uh, will continue to, uh, to build this out. Brilliant. Thanks very much, mate. All right. Talk soon, Ben. Take care. Bye. Thanks so much for listening to today's episode. I really hope you guys enjoyed this one. Make sure you're subscribed on Apple, Spotify, or your favorite podcast player. And if you're looking to try to transition to get a new job in the Bitcoin or crypto industry, we've got you covered. Head over to pompscryptocourse.com. We've developed a curriculum with the top teams across the industry. It's a three-week intensive training program with over 50 events packed into that three-week time period. Go to pompscryptocourse.com to learn more, and I'll meet you guys for the next episode.